Hi and welcome to Create School Radio. It's Peter Baxter from Create School. This is a very special podcast for me because this is our first in a new series. And for this, this is the world post-COVID. We're coming to you from a beautiful, beautiful part of the Irish East Coast in Wicklow. And today I am presenting what has been the result of uh, four different workshops over two days each. So that's eight days in total in St. David's Secondary School in Greystones. These students have, uh, the talented TY students have worked together to write, record, create, research, done loads of work and come up with a whole series of different podcasts. So for the next hour and a bit, we're going to put them all together and play you a really interesting mix of, well, everything, trailers to podcasts, from fiction to non-fiction, you name it, and all points in between. Hope you enjoy it. Sit back with a nice cup of tea or a, or a hot chocolate and enjoy. If you'd like to find out more about the workshops, you could contact us at createschool.ie or if you'd like to know more about the wonderful school we were visiting, you can look up stdavids.ie. Thank you. my son he's gone missing i'm not sure what does he look like he's five and about this tall and has blonde hair he's wearing blue shorts and red and a red t-shirt he was playing by the sea and then i think i saw someone take him i'm not sure though you took him didn't you no no i would never is everything okay here ladies she saw her son i think i can see him in the sea over there oh my god that is him he can't swim help him Help! Help! He fell in the water! He can't swim! Everybody stay inside. I'm coming down. Please hurry, he's drowning! What would you do if you found something shocking and horrible when you were somewhere you shouldn't be? Would you get help or would you run? Find out how two people react when they are faced with this choice in an epic podcast, Death in the Classroom. Listen now on Spotify and other places. be based on true events but we are neither confirming nor denying said statement. Do you see that car? What car? Turn around behind you. Shoot, that's a car to car, we're so screwed. We gotta run now. What was that for? 
We gotta get a head start. Where do we go now? Around the pier. It'll do. Should we leave? Yeah, we should probably take the train and leg it out of here. Shoot, we just missed it. We could wait for the next one or head to Glenageary. Head to Glenageary, definitely. Thank God, finally we don't have to run anymore. Well, it was your fault for deciding to light a bonfire and bring fireworks to Egypt. I guess he was still a fun eye. Just shut up. Do you enjoy short stories? If you answered yes, then chances are you'll enjoy this podcast. Each week, we upload a brand new original short story written by us and decided by our listeners. If you like the sound of this podcast, visit our website at www.shortstorypodcast.com or follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Short Story Podcast. Available to listen on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hello everyone, my name is Brian and today I will be talking about major musicals of the past five years. Today I will be talking about Hamilton, Dear Evan Hansen, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, Mean Girls and Hades 10. Let's start with the big one. Hamilton was released in 2015 and it is a smash hit. It is based on the life and times of founding father Alexander Hamilton. Written in its entirety by Lin-Manuel Miranda, the show was an overnight success. It was Lin's second major musical and far more popular than its first. The popularity of the musical allowed it to receive a film adaptation. Um, it's very unique in its style as it uses rap as a key component of its music, which is not seen in many other musicals. The next major musical I'm going to cover is Dear Van Hansen. This musical covers the difficult topic of mental health. It covers the t- uh, this with a main character called Evan, who has a form of anxiety and makes it difficult for him to talk to people. After he lies about being friends with the boy who killed himself, he finds himself lying to a family to put them at ease. Eventually, this comes crashing down and Evan is left defenceless. This musical was a big success, not to the extent of Hamilton, but a major success. It beat out Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 for Best Musical. Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, most or as it's more commonly referred to as The Great Comet, is a musical based on a 70-page extract of War and Peace. Although this must, might seem like the most boring thing to ever exist, the show uses a creative set and unique elements to keep the audience's attention. In 2017, we have Mean Girls, a musical based on Tina Fey's popular 2004 movie. It covers the story of Katie and her experiences in her new Chicago school. She encounters the plastics and infiltrates them in order to take down their leader. After her success, the fame gets to her head and eventually she is toppled herself. Finally, in 2019, we have Hadestown, a jazz musical adaptation of the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice from Greek mythology. Orpheus is set to marry Eurydice when she is taken into the underworld by Hades. Before all of this, Hades and his wife Persephone are having issues in their relationship. Orpheus travels to the underworld and rescues Eurydice after after singing Hades' love song. Hades has one condition, though. Orpheus must not turn around to look at Eurydice during the trip back to the overworld. Orpheus turns around and Eurydice is sent back to the overworld. The musical was first written in 2004 by Anais Mitchell and toured Vermont and New Hampshire before opening in London in 2017. It then opened in Broadway to critical acclaim. These musicals are definitely not to be missed and I would recommend them to everyone. Thanks for listening today. See you next time.
Time to go. I said, time to go. But please, monsieur, it was only a loaf of bread. I don't care what you stole. You're all the same to me. But it was just a loaf of bread. We needed it to survive. Enemies of the Republic are not welcome in France. Now, follow me. You'll only feel a pinch. Good evening and welcome back to my podcast. I'm Kira and in this series I will be teaching you about how you can become an artist. In the first podcast I'll be teaching you about line, tone and colour. First I'll be talking about how you can start drawing. You can learn how to draw as long as you can hold a pencil. The first thing you should draw after this podcast is a flower, but before that you need to learn about lines. Line is one of the most important things in art because you wouldn't be able to draw anything without the second thing you'll need to learn about to become an artist is tone. Tone is important if you want to make your drawings look detailed and realistic. To start, just start drawing lines, straight lines up and down without lifting your pen. Tone can be useful for when you're drawing an object and not every part of the object is the same colour. It is also used for shadows. The last thing you'll be learning about on this podcast is the importance of colour. In art, colour allows you to create your own flair. Colour can tell you a lot about a piece. If your painting is happy, then you would use colours like yellow or blue. But if your painting is on the side, you would use colours like black or white. That's it for this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to learn how to draw flowers, then tune in next week. Hey, did you like what you saw? Do you want to see more of this kind of content? If you said yes to either of these questions, then you should definitely check out the rest of my podcast. I promise that you won't be disappointed. And as always, stay safe and remember that you are never alone in the dark. Goodbye. On the ground. Open up the safe. I can't. What do you mean you can't? Who has the code then?
the manager. And where the hell is he? He went out for lunch. He what? If I can't get my money, I might as well kill everyone here. Leave no witnesses. I'm Emily and I'm going to be talking about the importance of water safety today. You may not know this but many people who go swimming in the sea or pool are actually incapable of swimming. People just go for the fun of it and they think they'll be alright even if they get into trouble there's always a lifeguard. However this is one of the most irresponsible things to do. If you are standing in the sea and the water level is up to your stomach this can change very quickly. You may be standing on a mound of sand that was built up there, but if a wave comes, it can swoosh it all, and then people can find themselves with the water above their head. The same goes with the pool. You can be in the shallow end of the pool, but if you walk, walk or drift even a little bit, you could find yourself in the deep end. This is very irresponsible and selfish. This is putting lifeguards and people trying to help lives in danger. The lifeguard can go in and save you, but drowners are much stronger than usual when they're in a life or death situation. 
This could end up with the drowner climbing on top of the lifeguard and pushing the lifeguard down. There were many, many occasions where the drowner has survived but the lifeguard drowns. An example of this was a case in Ireland recently. On the 23rd of February 2017, a 13-year-old boy drowned while trying to save his friend. He was with another boy and one girl. The girl had gone into the river for a swim after drinking gin mixed with an energy drink. She was struggling to get out, so the two boys tried to grab her out. Oshin Quigley tried to grab her out, but reached too far and fell in. The girl tried to grab a hold of his hand, however, she couldn't hold on anymore. The girl recalled remembering seeing him floating away down the river. The other boy said he remembers the panic in his face as the current took him. The boy brought the girl the other boy brought the girl to the riverbank, but to his horror, when he turned around, he was unable to spot the boy. He grabbed his phone and rang the ambulance. Firefighters fled to the scene and found Ushin's body just under the surface of the river, some fifty meters away from where he fell in. He was recovered out of the water and rushed to hospital where he was critically unwell upon arrival. He did not respond well to the efforts to save his life and unfortunately he died around 45 minutes after arriving to the hospital. This is an example of a saver drowning and a drowner surviving. However, some may debate that the boy wasn't a proper lifeguard, so it's not the same. But this happens to so many lifeguards too. And this isn't just in the open water, it's also in the pool. Even though there are many people in the pool and it isn't that deep, lifeguards can get trapped underwater and drown. So next time you're about to swim, think first about whether the conditions are safe that you're, and you're, that you are a strong enough swimmer to swim in the condition for your own safety and others. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Keep an eye out for any others. Bye. Spirit of the Year goes to Ella Burke. I need to fix my hair. Let's go to the bathroom. That was so boring. Oh, I'm so glad it's the last day of school. Yeah, I'm so excited to go to Spain. Oh, you're so lucky. Someone has a gun. Quick, let's come out the window. Why is no one outside? It's locked. But more importantly, how's my hair? Do I need another bobby pin? It's lovely, but how do you open the door? Your bobby pin. Everyone out this way. Let's get out of here. Hey there, listeners. I'm Sarah Hayden, your host, and you're listening to the premiere episode of the Give Twirl a Whirl podcast. Now, 
Whether you're a pro twirler, an athlete in training, or just a guy, gal, or non-binary pal who wants to give twirl the world, this podcast is for you. And, well, you know, if you stumbled here on accident, please stay. We are very accepting here, and I really need those views. Really. All that said, we've got a fun episode today, so let's get right into it. Today, we will be doing an interview with my dad and coach, the one and only David Hayden, or as his nickname, Big Dave. We will also be hearing from a few baton trailers about their funniest baton moments. And, as a bonus, if you stick around to the end, I'll even tell you one of my funniest baton moments. We will be right back with David Hayden. This is the Give Twirl a Whirl podcast, and I am here with elite coach David Hayden. Hi, everyone. It's an honor to have you on the podcast, Coach Dave. Thanks. <laughs> Let's get started with the questions then, shall we? How would you describe your coaching style? Mm. Uh, very technical. I like to really get to know my athletes, you know, to have a relationship with them, and to work out what makes them tick. That way, I encourage them to work on what they're good at. Okay, interesting. Do you ever find yourself picking favourites? Never. I don't have favourites. Um, I do have relationships with athletes because they're there longer and we'd have the same type of personality, but I, I'd never really have a favourite. Mm-hmm. You know? I disagree. <laughs> Is it hard to see athletes who are raised in the gym leave? Um, it's my pet hate. I like uh, when I was playing GAA, I was always encouraged to put back in. I think that's very evident in in the GAA circle, and um, I think uh, I, that's the way I like to pride myself on. I try to encourage athletes when they're finished, is to stick around, give it back into the club. The club has given so much to you, so give it back in, come down, coach, stick around. It doesn't have to be all the time, but. You can help younger athletes, your role models at the end of the day. Okay, that makes sense. Um, what is one of your proudest moments as a coach? Um, it's so many hard to pick and there's so much more to look forward to at the same time. Um, but as a whole, for me, I really feel proud when we as a club get praise for athletes that do well when they are in internationally. Uh, we've had some really good moments um, taking back eight medals from the International Cup last year was a proud moment as a club. Mm-hmm. And I didn't just focus on one person. Um, it was the club that done it. We done it together. Obviously, the individuals win it. But we, the coaches, coached them. We set the platform for them. And um, it's, a, it's a proud moment to be praised by international coaches, by international clubs, and by our national um, coaches and presidents and association to know that you are there giving so much more mm. for your country. Do you feel like that reflects on you? Like you provided for your country as well? well yeah, well, we, we provide our athletes, but they're representing their country and their association. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not just me, it's obviously it's your mother, Sarah, as well. So it's Chloe, it's Keen, it's Everett. Amy, it's it was CJ in the past, Jessica, Caroline. We've all given something to provide 
and just encourage those athletes and it's we've all contributed to their development. By the way, they're all athletes in our club, yeah. Rep GBT. Um, do you ever feel like giving up on an athlete if they're not working hard enough? Never, never. Some athletes just take longer to adjust to certain areas of development. You have to encourage and show them that you believe in them. Sometimes they won't believe in themselves and sometimes it's just a bad day. It doesn't work. Yeah. But you keep on showing them that you believe in them. They will thrive and they'll get better. Some athletes are just are, are competitive athletes and some are recreational athletes and you have to accept that. So you never look at an athlete and just think, you are not listening to me. Why? And you just want to throw them out? Yeah, some days, some athletes just thrive up the wrong way. But like, they have other things going on in their lives. You know, this is not a... This is an amateur sport, you know, and they're not elite athletes. Even though as they get older and they represent their, their, their country, they they act like elite athletes, but that's evident in a lot of amateur sports. But you have to accept sometimes it's just not working out for them with their things in school and the things mm-hmm. at home. Yeah. Um, do you remember any times as a coach when you laughed when you really shouldn't have? I'd have to say one of our athletes, I won't name her, but... We were down training and uh, she decided to sit in a tyre <laughs> and uh, she got stuck in the tyre and we had to call the ambulance <laughs> to saw her out of the tyre. And the fire brigade? And the fire brigade and they had to cut her out. Uh, I shouldn't really laugh but I couldn't help it. <laughs> Everyone was laughing at her. Yeah, it was a funny moment. <laughs> okay, and lastly, and this one isn't really a question, it's more of a statement. It is true that I am your favourite athlete. Obviously, you have to say that. Yeah. Okay, grand. <laughs> Confirmed. Everyone knows that, even if you can't accept that. Okay, thank you, Big Dave. It's been very informative getting to know more about you and your coaching. I hope everyone liked the interview. I hope you enjoyed it. Did I think you? I think I do my own dadcast. Yeah, dadcast. Perfect. Okay. All right. We will be back with you in a few, mo- few moments with Give Twirl a Whirl. Did you enjoy that interview? Because I certainly did. If you want more episodes like that one, make sure to comment who you want me to interview next. I definitely would not complain if I got to meet some star twirlers. On to the second part of the episode, we have the twirling tidbit segment, where you get to send in your twirling stories. This week, funniest baton moments. Firstly, we have an entry from Miss Alice Smith. Alice writes, The hall that I train in is split into two, with a big mesh met. I messed that up. That's supposed to be mesh net. We'll ignore that. Mistakes are how you learn. With a big mesh net in the middle. This particular week, my club had decided to pay a special coach to come over from France to train our competitive team. You know, I've always loved when we had ex- like special coaches. It made me feel so like good. It made me feel like someone cared about us. Like we were actually training for something. I agree that that's a great way to like train kids and stuff. Um, anyway, she continues, we were preparing for the European Cup, so this was a very important week. My coaches got us all in the group, told us how important this was, and asked us to act professionally. I obviously didn't get the memo, because I managed to not only get my baton stuck in the net, but I also slipped on the floor and got a concussion. <laughs> Let's just say, Xavier the French fancy didn't want to work with me for a while, and FYI, the baton is still stuck there. You know... The best thing about that, other than Xavier the French Fancy, is that this happened to me multiple times because I managed to get mine stuck in the roof somehow. On lights? I don't know. 
it, that's just how it works. For those who don't really know what a baton is, it's like a balanced metal stick with like two rubber balls on the end. And it manages to get stuck in stuff very, very easily. Nextly, we have Kian Mar. Kian says that at a competition last year, one of his teammates was sick, but nationals were on that weekend. And she was just expected to push through that. And she did. So she tried to. Um, throughout the whole three-minute routine, she was holding in her puke. Okay. Warning for anyone who is squeamish. This one looks like it might be a bit disgusting. Um, thankfully, she was a good sport and waited until after the routine to spew. As we all sat in our, waiting, in our finishing poses, she leapt up from her pose and started waddling away. We all thought she was going to make it to the bathroom until we noticed the trail of vomit coming from her mouth all over the competition floor. Keep in mind, we had to walk off that floor and dodge the sick along the way. <sighs> Let's just say she lost some dignity that day. Yeah, I'd say she lost some dignity. I, like, I have a story like that. I'm going to do this a lot. I have so many baton stories. When I was younger, I was like 10. I used to go away to all the different competitions, even if I wasn't old enough to compete, because my parents are both coaches. And they all had, like, they had athletes to bring there. So I had to go, because no one would mind me. And I remember we were going to Slovenia one year and I was so sick that they had to call a doctor to make sure I could still fly. And he was like, yeah, you can fly. You're just going to be sick everywhere. And I was. And every second we walked, I would have to sit down for a few minutes because I kept getting sick. It was horrible. It was the worst experience of my life. Okay, lastly, we have an entry from Amy Sweeney. She says, I remember when I was at International Cup. We've got a pro twirler here. Um, some of the officials that were working on set numbers, okay, sorry to interrupt again. For those of you who don't know, your set number is basically the order in which you compete in. Um, they said, she says they mixed up her set number and told her to go on a set before she was actually supposed to perform. She says, I was so confused when there were no available spots to twirl in until they heard my coaches and all of the Ireland supporters yelling at me to get off the floor. By this point, the competition had started and people were twirling while I was standing there like an idiot. I ended up running off and I completely embarrassed myself in front of thousands of spectators. I feel that it's such a big no-no to be on, like, to be on the floor in baton. Like, when people are competing, it's so bad. You're not allowed to walk around or anything because it's a distraction and the athletes can't get distracted. And if they do, those athletes will have to compete again. And they'll be so angry because they're like, why would you walk? I'm competing. Yeah, I get that. Like, I have a similar story to, like, messing up, like, staff messing up. For some reason, they set the competition floor backwards at one of my competitions, and I was, like, 10, so I didn't know they were going to do that. I was so confused. And the elite athletes, they were grand. They went on another bother. I ended up standing backwards. I stopped halfway through, and I made them let me go again, which is not allowed. And then, needless to say, my coaches had a talk with me about appropriate competition etiquette, because... I nearly got disqualified. They didn't disqualify me because I was 10. But if I did that when I was any older, I was gone. Now, did you find those stories as funny as I did? Because if you did, you should comment. And you should comment your own baton stories. Whatever you want, anything that comes to mind. It doesn't matter if it's scary, ugly, fails. I don't care. Do it. Okay, finally, as promised, here's my funniest baton story. Right. So if you know baton, we have very, very tight costumes. And we sweat a lot when we compete. It's disgusting. And people don't think we do because we're supposed to be pretty dancers. We sweat a lot. It's gross. It drips. It's gross. 
And when you add that to the tight costumes, you've got a very, very sticky situation. You know, I'm a pretty high up athlete. I do a lot of routines. I'm expected to compete all the time, always on the move. And last year, I had a team at 2.45 and then a group number at 2.52. And that was the time frame I had to compete, get my hair done, get my makeup done and go back onto the competition arena. It was, it was crazy. I remember sprinting through the athletes, plowing into them. The poor yokes didn't even know what was coming. Pushed them over, hurt them. They probably were so confused why these screaming Irish children were running into them. In the dressing room, my teammates, who were like not competing, they had to come, up to come up to me. They ripped off my costume. People were holding up my bra. People were wiping my face, brushing my hair, like pushing me around, sticking bobby pins into me. And now, if you picture that with the previous point of the tight costume and the sweat, can you picture that? Do you get it now? The costume wouldn't come off. It wouldn't. There was no way it was coming off because I had four minutes. I was drenched in sweat and I couldn't get it off. So they had to cut it. They chopped the costume off and it was so expensive. It was like 300 euro and they'd sew it back together because I couldn't get it off. It was horrible. Um, there were hands everywhere. It was the weirdest moment of my life, honestly. I literally did nothing. I just stood there and it was the most chaotic moment. And I'm sure most of you doubted me and my squad, but we made it. I really made it to that floor in like five minutes. You know, in my humble opinion, I think that really secures Irish superiority. We're so superior that we were able to do that. Anyway, that's all for today. Thank you for tuning in to um, Give Twirl a Whirl. <laughs> Thanks, twirler guys and gals and non-binary pals. And if you enjoyed it, please make sure to follow this podcast and tune in next week, where I will be discussing the pros and cons of flexibility. And that sounds all serious, but I will be featuring a very, some very special guests who are experts in flexibility, and you won't find out until you tune, tune in next week. So please do. Thank you, and see you next week. of the Grilled Podcast. I'm your host, Jake, and we have a very special episode ahead of us. But first, a word from our sponsor, Burrito Box. If you're a frequent listener of the show, you might know that our most common sponsor is Burrito Box. If you subscribe to the podcast and use code GRILLED, you can win one week of free burritos. It only works for the first 10 people who do this, so don't miss out. Alright, we have a very special and interesting show ahead of us this evening, so sit back, relax, stick your headphones in, and chill while we discuss the very important but necessary topic of politics. Now, we have a very important topic to talk about today, and it's part of the thing that, you know, kind of makes me a bit angry, but, you know, you're hearing a lot of messages from folks all the time associated with politics, is that, you know, like, oh, trust us, trust us, you gotta trust us, you know, and it's like, well, you know, you guys don't need to deliver on your promises. Did you ever think of that? And I think that's mainly because of an age factor. 
that is a main contributor to the influence of, you know, not just our society, but like American society as well. But other countries too. When you look at politicians and presidents and other political figures, you think, oh, they're a bit too old to be running the country, aren't they? Huh? You know? And it's just not just like, you know, America's president, but ours as well. I mean, look at Trump. He's like 74. I mean, like, <laughs> come on, guys. And Joe Biden, too. He's like three years older than Trump. Like, seriously. In my opinion, I think that we need a leader who is young and knows what he's doing. Like someone in their 30s or 40s. Because at least they know, like, how and what things work. It's an absolutely stupid idea having seniors running America and them thinking that just because they're old, all of a sudden they have more experience than other candidates. Now, I think that's enough ranting for today. Thank you to everyone who tuned in tonight. I really appreciate it. It's such a vibe doing this show, and I just love doing it every week with you guys. And, like, you know, like where I get to let out my frustrations while also discussing very important topics that interest me, to say the least. See you next time, everyone. Peace. Yeah, yeah, pass. Oh, ref. Oh, come on, what is this? Let's go! Yes! <laughs>
Carl, Carl, wake up. Uh, what? Are we here? We're here. Carl gets out of the car, sees the building and his dad walks with him. The car was parked in the parking lot exclusively for people performing tonight. Carl walks inside the building, walking past many people and finally finds the room for the contestants. He sits down with his father and they wait. And they wait. And they wait. Until finally, Carl gets called out. It's time! Carl gets transported to behind the stage. He sees the previous contestants singing and thinks to himself, Wow! They're terrible! I'm gonna destroy the competition! But then, right near the end of the song, the contestants on stage start singing better and better, to the point where near the last quarter of the song, they start to sound like an angel. Carl is shocked. What? That, that can't be! How am I supposed to beat that? Carl hears the contestants get four yeses from the X Factor judges. Carl is quaking. You good, son? You're starting to sweat. Are you nervous? Uh, Dad, I don't feel so good. I think I'm gonna throw up. Carl, listen to me. You'll make the audience cry with your voice. I know you can do it. I'm so proud of you. There's nothing holding you back now. <sighs> okay, Dad. I'll go. You can do it, son. Show them what you can do. Thanks, Dad. I'll try my best. Carl walks out on stage. The audience makes a deafening sound as he walks up to the microphone. Simon Cowell is there. Ah, hi, Simon. Uh, is it just you judging? Yeah, because of social distancing. Are you ready to sing for us? Yeah, yeah. I'm ready. Knock yourself out, kid.
Did you have a good night, Olivia? Yeah, it was amazing. I love the food. It's freezing. Here's my coat. Are you sure? Yeah, before you freeze to death. <laughs> Is that woman okay? Yeah, I'm sure she's fine. Let her on. Get off me. Don't leave with that man. Get off me. Don't leave with him. He's dangerous. Trust me. Get off her. Come on, Olivia. We are leaving. Don't leave with him. Don't leave with him. Don't worry about it. She's off her head. <laughs> She had no eyes. Peter, did you hear me? We are here. We can finally get dry. Reporting from Sky News. A serial killer in the, is on the loose in a quiet town of Glenpatrick. The man has been described as tall, dark-haired and in his mid-twenties. All subjects so far have been found with their eyeballs gouged out of their head. We advise all people in the surrounding area to take extra precautions. Where's your toilet? Just enter the hallway to your right. <laughs> Eyes? <laughs> Are you okay Olivia in there? Is something wrong? Yeah, I don't feel well. I think I'm just gonna head home. Not going anywhere. This is Keila and Nico. Two students from St. David's in Graysons. We do short story podcasts that are thrilling and fun. We are sure that you will like them. If you are interested, just head over to our Spotify. Keila and Nico. Can Can you believe my mom didn't get me the new iPhone 12 for my 16th birthday? Are you joking? Is she like poor or something? I only got 18 presents and not even the new. newest. <laughs> Chanel bag. <gasps> didn't she take you like Bora Bora last week though? Only for a week. Excuse me, where am I? Girl, are you drunk? But what? What age are you, darlings? We just turned 16. Oh, so you were also born in 1804? Uh, nah, we're 2004 babies. Excuse me? Wait, did you just say you were born in 1804? Alex, I think we're talking to Christopher Columbus. <gasps> oh, I just had a history project on him. Could you help me? Wait. Shouldn't you be like dead by now? No, I'm 16. God, I think we're on TV. Oh my God, cut the cameras. I was I was riding my horse in the meadow, going to fetch water from from the well, and I fell in, and I I landed landed up here. Wait, so you're telling me you're from like 1804 in England? Yes. The man's daughter was crying, and she wouldn't stop. He groaned and rolled around until he couldn't take it anymore. He sighed and stood from the bed. His feet stomped on the ground as he walked to where she lay.
He stands looming over her, fury written on his face. For a split second, it looks as if he is going to strike. But as he looked at the winding cobwebs and larvae surrounding his child, his anger washed away as tendrils of fear gripped him. He starts to beg and plead, hoping for her to take pity on him so he could find some peaceful refuge. He starts to cry. Like any self-respecting father, he has danced this tango for nights on end and he was coming to the end of his patience. Please, give me peace. Let me heal. I can't do this anymore. The moonlight illuminated the tear tracks on his face as he rose, surrendering to the cries and padding back to the house. And as he exited the graveyard, he wondered, when will I stop feeling her phantom hands on my throat, strangling me, trying to kill me, when? Lads, where are we? Looks like a jungle or something. Where's Peter? Peter! Peter! Lads, I'm here. Jay's Peter, I was worried. I'm alright, let's, let's get this already spawned. Lad, what was that? I don't know. I don't think we are, we are alone. Stay alert. Let's get out of here before high tide. Get someone with the cover and set up camp. Whoever they are, they're getting closer. Thank God that, that we didn't get lost in the storm. I know. I have one magazine left. Good. Try and kill some chickens for the fire and then we can have dinner soon. Will do. This place should work. There's a little creek over there for water. And I hear chickens not too far from here. Okay, nice. I will go collect some water. I'll go get some food. Right, lads. I'll stay here and collect some wood. Help. Where are you? I'm coming. Shoot, he's gone. This is his shoe. Don't worry, we'll get him there. Look, it's his footsteps. Let's follow them. Right. Let's get a head start. You hear that? Yeah, let's do this. You ready? Where's Barry? Johnny, do something! Lads, over here. Thanks for coming, I knew you would. Would you cut me there free? Cheers, then let's get the hell out of this island. Yeah, Barry. Do you have any ideas? We can try repair the boat. Great idea. Let's do it.
we have an issue. Well, spit it out then, Private. He is here. Oh god, Private, get to the escape pod. Ears. Do you like using them? Well, somewhere in the void exists a store like no other, and no it isn't a Tesco. This store sells exotic goods and long-forgotten mystic relics of civilization that once existed, each with a unique story behind it. Every week I, Chadwick Regional Large Poultry, will be bringing you a podcast of each item I collect for your lovely ears. Make sure to check our website. Or Santiago Soler Albert and I'm going to talk about how the boring professionals train. This is not as easy as you might think. They need to train strength and precision. I will put some tips and tricks to help you become better on bowling. First, balance. It's very important if you don't have too much strength when you throw the ball. Second, precision. It is very important when you want to do a strike. Third, strength. The more strength you have, more pins you will knock. Four, Practice a lot. If you practice a lot, you will improve your technique and you will be better. Thank you so much for listening to me. I hope you like it and you put the advice into practice. We were going to the USA to roast 66. When we arrived, we didn't know that we were going to have a very nice adventure. First day, Monday 28th of July. It was really hot. We were sweating. We bought some motorbikes to drive straight and to reach 300 km per hour. Everybody was excited. Our first days were really nice. After the trip, we parked our motorbikes in the parking of the hotel. We were going to eat in Ariston Cafe. The food was so delicious. After that, we swam in our swimming pool inside the hotel. Second day was different. We visited the desert and we got a camel. It was really nice. We had a very good time. The thing that we didn't know was the, that we were going to have a good surprise. Two hours after, we visited a small west town, like in the movies. We talked with some people about the good trip we had. Then five cowboys wearing standard work shirts with many pockets, hats like the Mexicans, boots, bandanas and pistols. We were very scared because we didn't want to die. They were trying to aim us with the pistols. We were paralyzed. We were about to run away from them. They carried us and went to another town, to the jail. They were going to put us in jail, instead of going them. When the police arrived, we were trying to tell them that they were the bad people, not us, because we were on a trip only. 30 minutes later, they told us that they were just kidding and everything was only a good joke. Everybody was laughing a lot. 
the next two weeks we continued visiting monuments and driving in our motorbikes and we enjoyed the trip a lot. When we arrived at our home we told our family this funny adventure and we were laughing a lot again. What's this dot on the radar? I'll get the captain. Captain! What's the problem? The new kid spotted something on the radar. Man the hoses! What's going on? Shut up and go in the hold. I'll go talk to the captain. What do you see, captain? I see one skip with six occupants. I think they're coming alongside us now. I'll get on the radio. Mayday, mayday. This is the USS Oregon. We are off the coast of Somalia and we... They're coming aboard! New kid, no! Ah! Marlakuma DB Duna Marlakayili Mayo. Oh no, he's dead. Please, don't kill us. We'll give you anything you need. We'll help you. Minecraft live livestream. Now to get us started off we'll be discussing the new cave types and generation that will be added. As far as the devs have let us know we will be receiving three new cave types. We will be getting the deep dark caves, the dripstone caves and the lush caves. Let's start in chronological order. The deep dark caves were announced by Agnes uh, 15 or so minutes into the live stream and the deep dark caves are a variant of caves that will shift light levels so one second it could be very bright and then it could be very dark now in these new caves there will be a variety of different and unique mobs and blocks in this cave some of these blocks include the skulk and the skulk growth. Now the skulk growth will act as a wireless redstone transmitter or to put it lightly it'll detect vibrations and send a signal to any other skulk growth near it. Now this can be negated by putting wool around the skulk growth therefore dampening the vibrations. Now as for the new mob we have the warden. The Warden is a new mob that was announced during the Minecraft Live livestream and was announced along with all the new uh, Skulk-based items. Now, the Warden isn't like most other mobs. It doesn't detect the player based off of sightline. It detects it based off of hearing. So, if the player throws something like a snowball 
at a wall, the warden will detect the snowball and walk towards it, letting the player sneak past. However, if the player does go out of crouch mode, starts jumping places or breaks a block, the warden will pick that up and begin to attack the player. Now in the video, uh, the warden dealt six hearts of damage and then killed the player, but the player was in a full set of netherite armor, so I do think that this might not, this might be up for tweaking, because uh, netherite armor is extremely hard to obtain, and the fact that the warden can nearly two-hit kill a player in full unenchanted netherite seems a bit overpowered, especially for a cave, which a lot of people will be mining in. Now, as for the lush caves, we'll be getting a few new things there. I we will the azaria tree is the indicator of the lush caves. If we dig down underneath the azaria tree roots, we will find this lovely green cave and all its goodies within it. The cave consists of lots of plant life and greenery and a lot of glow glowberries, which are a new food source and a harvestable light source, which could be interesting for farms. Now, on the topic of the lush caves, we have also got the drip leaf plant, which is something that I think Minecraft haven't done yet, which is a decaying platform that resets. So each time you step on the drip leaf, it'll decay over a number of seconds, and after about two seconds of standing on it, the drip leaf will so far that you will fall through it and then the drip leaf will reset allowing you to go on it again for another two seconds now there was also a recent addition to near the end of the update uh, about the update was the axolotl which is a new mob that will also spawn in the lush caves the axolotl in real does exist in real life and it is a salamander uh, anim based animal that has a unique regenerative feature to it. And when I say that, I mean that the axolotl have, if it unfortunately has one of its limbs cut off, it could easily regrow it. The same with hearts and other vital organs, as scientists have done testing on it. Uh, okay, so for the new, another new cave type was the dripstone caves. The dripstone caves are a variety of caves that contain stalactites and stalactites. These stalactite, stalactites will fall and deal damage to anything underneath it, and anything that falls onto a stalagmite will also take a hefty amount of damage. But... To add to the immersion, the Mojang team decided to code in the water droplets from the dripstone caves to fill up cauldrons. So if you have a stalagmite that's dripping water over a cauldron, the cauldron will pick up that water and uh, collect it. Now, uh, on the topic of caves, there was a new ore uh, added, and ore veins. Uh, the new ore is copper, copper ore, and copper will be used for making blocks and a lightning rod. Now, on the topic of ore veins, ore veins will be 
a trail or traces of ore when you're mining underground. If you're mining underground and you happen to come across, say, a chunk of iron, for instance, you have roughly four, you have a two to eight iron ore in that chunk, but there could be a new special type of stone uh, that could lead you to another vein or to another chunk of iron within the vicinity of it. So if you were to follow that, you could mine out huge areas of ore. I'm joined by a special guest, Lucy. Say hi, hi guys. Lucy. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about the boy in the box. And if you haven't heard about this story, I'm not going to lie, guys. I haven't didn't hear about it till previous so, to this video. Yeah. So I'm going to be telling Lucy about this story. If you haven't heard about this story, try to sleep at night. Okay. <laughs> so the boy in the box is from Pennsylvania. He was found in 1957. Actually, um, yeah, okay. no, if he's you from Pennsylvania. Okay, but you haven't told him what it is. Basically, it's Yo, a... hold on. I didn't know about a backstory. <laughs> okay. And he was basically found in a box. Dead. Naked. I hope he wasn't alive. Dead. <laughs> <laughs> and police say Wait, he's about was four to six like, years chopped old? up? Like... No. Oh, just him in a box, dead. Yeah. What age was he? Four to six. Oh. I know. And... But his body was badly battered in the box. Okay. And, get this, okay, his identity has never been discovered till this day. It still hasn't been discovered? No. And the, the case is still open. Oh. Nobody knows what happened. Well, police are fairly good, aren't they? How can they not know who it is? Like, surely, when they because w- first opened it, like, he had a face and he had a... Well, he was badly, like, battered, so you actually couldn't properly see who he surely was. And he had nobody around him, so they basically just found a body and then couldn't... But surely, like, his parents would have had, like, missing people files open and stuff. Exactly, but maybe it was his parents. Nobody knows. Oh, man, I'm a clan type mm-hmm. shit. I know. So, but when... Okay, so, first of all, the body was discovered by a man first, but the man was checking for musket shops he had laid down, so he didn't tell the police when he first found the boy because he didn't want to get his shops confiscated. Yeah. And then, so the boy was just left there for days after that. With a man knowing that he was dead in a box, okay? Then... Uh, he could have been helped? Yeah. So, days later, no, a dead. college student <laughs> found the body and reported it to the police the following day. So, that's how the police... Okay. Wait, who body. first found it in my guy? What? Just a man checking his traps. Oh. Okay. So, when the man and the boy found the body, because the man hadn't touched the body, apparently, he was wrapped in a plaid ba- blanket... Inside the cardboard box. Oh, it's cardboard. Yes. Oh. And in the middle of a woods in Pennsylvania. Exactly. Oh. Off the side of a road. Vile. I know. <laughs> so, the police started the investigation on February twenty sixth, nineteen fifty seven, and the dead body's fingerprints were taken. Yes. When the boy's fingerprints were taken, the police like obviously didn't know how much of a mystery this would be. Yeah. Because they probably thought it would be like pretty simple, you know. Mm-hmm. But the case attracted so much attention and over 400,000 posters were printed in hope of finding exactly what happened to the boy. Yeah. I can't believe they don't know who the boy is. I know. 
still to this day. Like, how long has it been? Yeah. Literally, like, but 70 years? Yeah. 60. On the, okay, on the crime scene, they found a man's blue cap and a handkerchief with the letter G on the bottom corner. How was this all this evidence exactly. not enough to find out? It was 1957. Okay. So fair. I'd say now they'd be able to find the evidence. Yeah, but... It's kind of over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all news now. And you guessed it, these clues led to nowhere. So, till this day, <laughs> we, the case is open. So... We should, we should try to, like... Yeah. <laughs> Guys, everyone listening to this now, if you know anything about this case... Call the Pennsylvania police because <laughs> how they would they? Know? I don't think any eight-year-old people are watching this. <laughs> I'd say that the like murderer is dead now. Mm. But Nanny, if you're watching this, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Okay, guys, that was pretty fun. So <laughs> thanks, thanks Lucy, one. for coming to my podcast. No problem. Um, we will have another one for you next week. Yes, hopefully with a new exciting topic. Yeah, very more exciting. <laughs> Maybe a little bit that you guys can, you know, research yourself. Yeah. Uh, also, get in touch uh, via like Instagram yeah. and stuff if you want to see. Some Follow things. our Instagrams, you know. Yeah. In the link in description. Yeah. <laughs> Follow our Spotify's because our podcast will be on Spotify. Yes, it will. Make sure and you like and subscribe there. Yeah. And also follow our TikTok. And Bye, we will guys. see you again next week. Hello guys, my name is Ava O'Brien, how are you doing today? And today I'm going to be talking about the Matt and Rosie Blanchard case. So, Rosie Blanchard was a 12 year old girl who got kidnapped and killed back in 2003. Rosie was just 12 years old. She lived in Chicago with her recently divorced mother and grandmother. Matt is her father who has recently divorced from her mother. Now for some backstory. Rosie's mother, Kelly Richards, married Rosie's father, Matt Planchard, in 1991, shortly after Kelly gave birth to Rosie. The two had a very loving relationship up until Rosie was just 11 years old. Rosie's mother had always been a lively spirit, whereas Matt was the quiet one. Kelly worked in a law firm and Matt owned his own workshop where he sold his own goods. It was a snowy November in 2002, Chicago. There's a new guy, Richard Jenkins, at Kelly's office. Kelly gets to know and becomes intrigued with him. Kelly and Matt's relationship is quickly falling downhill as Kelly spends more time at the office. Unbeknownst to Matt, Kelly is having an affair with Richard. After months, Kelly is falling in love with Richard and tells Matt. She then files for divorce and wants custody of Rosie. Matt is furious, and Rosie's very, very upset. She loves her father. Kelly wins the court case and moves in with Richard with Rosie. Matt becomes a furious drunk and plots to take Rosie back. He decides to go to school one day and takes her out, right before Rosie's mom can get to her. Rosie has no idea what is going on, but loves the fact that she can spend time with her father. When Kelly finds out Rosie's gone, she calls the police and tells them Matt has taken her. She knows him very well and is not fooled. The police go straight to his house where Matt has locked himself and Rosie in. The police try to reason with him but they get no answer. 
Unknown to them, Matt and Rosie are both dead inside the house. Matt has killed Rosie in panic and then killed himself so they could both be together finally, without Kelly getting in the way. I know that story was pretty heavy, but I still hope you enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun putting this together and I will most definitely be back soon. Bye. Are you okay? How are you still alive? Because I'm... Uh... Do you live in Ireland and want to use fireworks? Well, come to my podcast and we'll discuss whether they should be legal or not. She's the one that got cheated on. And August is from the girl who cheated with James. Both reference cobblestones. In Cardigan, it says uh, high heels on cobblestones. And in Betty, it says walking on broken cobblestones. Cardigan is in Cardigan, she says, and you'd be standing in my front port light. And in Betty, she says, will you kiss me on the post? In both songs at 2 minutes 47 seconds, they have it in common. In Betty, it has, she said, James, get in, let's drive. And in August, it says, get in the car. Another similarity between Cardigan and Betty is how they reference age. In Cardigan, the lyric says, when you are young, they assume you know nothing. And another lyric in Betty is, I'm only 17, I don't. Characters in these songs are also all named after the actors Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds' children. James, he was the one that cheated. And Inez, who is referenced as the um, a friend of Betty's in Betty. This style of writing is new for Taylor. This is her first time playing with fictional characters and joining their stories in songs. This suits the album name Folklore, as folklore means stories passed down by generations by word of mouth. Thank you so much for joining us. Please join us back next week where we'll be talking about her song on folklore called The Last Great American Dynasty. Hey guys, it's Alan here and welcome back to this week's episode of the True Crime Podcast. Today I'm going to take you through the life and the murders of John Wayne Gacy, who is also known as the Killer Clown. 
John Wayne Gacy was an American serial killer whose crime spanned from about 1972 to 1978. He was born on March 17, 1942 in Chicago, Illinois and was executed by lethal injection on May 10, 1994. Gacy had a very rough childhood, which is probably what led to his murderous ways in the future. He was overweight and unathletic, according to him, and he did have a good relationship with his sisters and his mother, but his father regularly abused him as he was an extreme alcoholic. Um, Gacy has claimed to have murdered over 33 young men and boys. Well, there's 33 confirmed murders, but he has actually claimed to have murdered more people. And my opinion, what makes Gacy quite creepy is that in his spare time, he regularly performed at children's hospitals and charity events, stressed as either Pogo the Clown or Patches the Clown, which are kind of two personas, I guess you could say, he kind of came up with. And like I said before, because of that, later he became known as the Killer Clown. According to Gacy himself, most of his murders happened in his ranch house near Norwich, a village in Norwood Park, which is in metropolitan Chicago. He murdered and assaulted his victims in very gruesome ways, which I'm not going to mention, but you can see in more detail on Wikipedia. He usually kind of strangled his victims after he like lured them in and kind of convinced them to come into his house. Um, 26 of his victims were buried in the crawl space of his house, three on other areas of the property and the remaining four in the Des Plaines River. Once Gacy was arrested and went through his trial, he was sentenced to death on March 19th, 1990 and on death row a little fun fact here, he actually spent most of his time painting and he was executed at the Stateville Correctional Centre. Um, Gacy spent approximately 14 years on death row at the Menard Correctional Centre in Chester, Illinois and on the morning of his execution he was transferred to Stateville Correctional Centre and for his last meal Gacy requested for a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken a dozen fried shrimp, chips, fresh strawberries and a Diet Coke. <laughs> um, Gacy's death was confirmed at 12.58am on May 10th, 1994. Once he was confirmed dead, his brains were removed and are now in the possession of Helen Morrison, who was a witness to his death and was also a journalist who interviewed John Wayne Gacy and many other serial killers and wrote books. And his body was also cremated. And another little fun fact is many of John Wayne Gacy's death row paintings were actually auctioned off later on. Some of them were auctioned off to keep, but then other ones were auctioned off and they ended up being destroyed on purpose. So yeah, that's a little summary of John Wayne Gacy's life. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. It's a little shorter than usual, but that's okay, I hope. Um, if you have any suggestions for next week, make sure to tweet me at Ellen's True Crime and I will see you next week.
she? I'll just text him. Ah, wag one. Wag one. That's a nice jacket, G. What size is that? Ah, it's my size. Calm, G. Run your phone in that jacket, G. Nah, nah. Low it, fam. Next time that bullet be your head fam. Do a soft boy. Alright then, rib boy. Then you dusty you. Oh, you stop there fam. You move by, I kill you. Come on, then you dusty youth. Hello there, welcome to the Working Title Podcast with your host, Derek Gunning. Today we'll be looking at the book Eye of the World by Robert Jordan. The story focuses on a group of young adults hailing from Edmunds Field, a small village tucked away in the Westlands. Aided by the dreaded, magically adept Adi Say and her bodyguard, the warder, they are forced to leave on their, remo their remote area to escape the Dark One. Jordan brings us into a world of magic, mystery, and adventure, in the same way vain as Tolkien, writer of The Lord of the Rings. Be warned, this review contains spoilers for a book written in 1999. So get out of here if you don't want to fall under the shadow. Whatever that means. So now, a quarter of my audience is gone, I can give you my opinion on the book, Eye of the World. Remember when I said this book was written in 1999? This means that a lot of ideas in the book that were revolutionary at the time are now pretty bog standard. If I was re reviewing this book 20 years ago, my asset developing styles would have been more enthusiastic, but because this book has inspired many of the books that I have read, it ironically seems more unoriginal. Featuring such classic tropes as the farm boy from nowhere who is secretly an orphan and inexplicably the chosen one, the dark lord, an, e an entity of pure evil who probably enjoys blending kittens in his spare time instead of being in any way three-dimensional. The mentor character who dies as soon as he reveals his tragic backstory, and so much more. Now, the cliches themselves aren't inherently bad, however, if played straight with no alteration whatsoever, and could make a story feel very predictable and seem lazy. Jordan does balance the scales with some inter very interesting pieces of world building, like the women's circle, which as you can guess is a local government run entirely by the women women of villages alongside or often against the town council. He also manages to keep the whole affair very fast-paced despite the large amount of information being given to the viewer. The relentless pursuit of the group by the Dark One's minions gives every chapter an air of dread and uneasiness. This high tension, however, works against it sometimes, as it means there is very little time given to the characters. The book has nine main characters, which makes it kind of difficult to focus on them all in detail. This means that some poor characters really get the short end of the stick. For example, an example of this is Rand, who is the main character in the early stages and receives minimal development. Instead, his intended growth is actually overtaken by another character going through Hello guys, it's me, your presenter Moritz, and today we will talk about the new PlayStation, and if we have time, about the new Xbox Series X. Otherwise, we will talk about the Xbox next time. But first, there will be two versions of the PS5. A digital version without the CD drive and one where you can use discs. And everything else, they will be the same otherwise than the Xbox. The smaller version of the Xbox, the Series S, will be less strong than the X version. 
for the PS, the prices will be 399 for the digital version and 499 for the version with the CD drive. First, it will sound good, 100 euro left, less. But you need to think about a few things why the investment of these 100 euros is worth it. First, you don't need something to play DVDs anymore. If you upgrade your room at the moment and want to watch DVDs or Blu-rays, you can do it on the PlayStation. Something to watch will cost much more than 100 euros, maybe three to 500 and you have much more wires. Second, if you want to buy a game maybe five months after the release, as a CD it will be 10 to 30 euros cheaper than the digital version. And there will be used versions that will do the same and are even more cheaper. As the other people who sell the used game, after you didn't like this game anymore, you can sell it, you can get 50 to 80% of the money back and in the end you paid for a game that would cost 70 euros, maybe 20 to 30. This is perfect for the story games that you play once and after that you never touch it again. I hope I gave you some good points and you will have the PS5 for minimum 5 to 10 years and your uh, interests will change. So just prepare for that and invest these 100 euros. Now some technic facts about the PS5. First it will have 120 FPS and some games it will have 4K. That means to use the PS properly you need a good monitor and they are expensive too. So keep in your mind that you might have to spend the same amount of money for the monitor. Some other stuff for the PlayStation will be a new headset and new controller. But you don't but you need to know that the old controller from the PS4 will work too. So don't buy the version with two controller. That's a waste of money. About the headset I will do in a review on my YouTube. But from the last I can tell are most uh, times bad because a wireless headset is not so good for gaming. That was me, Moritz, and I will see you next time when we talk about the Xbox Series X. This is your captain speaking. We thank you for choosing Aer Lingus. We hope you had a pleasant flight. Are we here? Jesus, I didn't even know we landed. This is your captain speaking. You're on a Ryanair flight, and here's the safety briefing. Blah blah, if we crash, it's not our fault. T's and C's apply. I think I'm paralyzed. Hope you had a pleasant flight. We're only four hours behind schedule. I'm looking forward to arriving in Rome. I know Cayetana, me too. It's gonna be so good. Yeah, everyone has to go to the loop before we get on though. I'll make sure we have everything. I don't want to miss my flight. I already went to the loop. Are you sure? Yes. No, I haven't gone yet. I'll go now. It's not okay. Be quick. We're boarding soon.
stop lip, that drink's finished. This is for flight GA642 to Rome. Please go to gate 26. There we go. We have to go now, please. Come on. Okay, I'll text Kaya Tana to meet us there. Look, everyone's getting on the plane. We gotta go. We know, Charlotte, but Kaya Tana isn't here yet. I don't care. If she misses it, it's her fault. I'm going to Rome. Lads, she just texted me. Kantiana's already on the plane. Come on. Thank God. Sophie, Charlotte, she's not here on the plane. I told you to throw that out. I wasn't finished with that. Where are you? I'm not reading the plane. No, Katiana, you're not. We can't find you anywhere. But I'm sitting on it. I swear to God, if I miss this flight, I'll kill you all. How rude. Ask where you're going. No, I know where I'm going. I'm going to Rome. I'm not stupid. Ask her the plane number. The number is 624. The flight to Rome is 642. I swear, Katiana, you're an idiot. Rude. Let's go. Where are we going to get Katiana? Shut up, Liv. Yeah, Liv. Be more quiet. I'm gonna kill it. Yous are so mean. How did you get that back? Never mind. There's the plane. Yes, Katiana coming through the gate. Look. Sophie, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't know. You made us late, you little. Charlotte, shut up. Let's go. You better be back in time, Sophie. We will, Charlotte. Look, Charlotte, we did it. We are in. Fly 643, heading to Japan. Oh my god. And you made me leave my Slurpee. God damn it, I hate sushi. Blue kind of sauce. Yeah. Okay, let's vote. Okay, blue on three. One, two, three, blue. Damn it. I was sure he was an imposter. Should we try green? Uh, I think purple. Alright, let's try. Alright, let's do it. On three? Yeah. One, two, three, purple. purple. We finally got one. Oh no, we have to fix the engine. Right, let's run. Oh no, my only friend died. I'm reporting. It was white and he did it and self-reported. I swear it wasn't me, bro. You all don't lie. No, wait, no. Oh. Oops. I got voted out. Imposter's win. Sophie and I'm here with Fiona and today on Missing Children we're talking about the disappearance of Madeleine McCann. Madeleine is a British girl who went missing at the age of three back in 2007. So Fiona, can you give us some background information on the Madeleine McCann case? The McCanns were holidaying in Praia de Luz, Portugal. Madeleine disappeared from her bed on the 3rd of May 2007. Kate and Jerry, Madeleine's parents, were out for dinner and had left the children alone in their apartment. When Kate went back to check on them later in the evening, Madeleine was gone. Oh no. Really, the children must have been far too young to be left alone in a foreign country. Nevertheless, you'd never expect something like this to happen. 
on the Ednys theories on how she may have disappeared. There's a lot of different opinions and theories out there. Many blame her parents and speculate they may have sold her or known something was going to happen. There were traces of blood found in their car and on Kate's clothes. It is suspicious that they would leave her alone, but what parent would let that happen to their child? Of course there's other theories on what may have happened. A friend of Kate and Jerry's, Jane Tanner, reported that she saw a dark-haired man carrying a young child around the same time as her disappearance. Another sighting was reported in Amsterdam a few days after her disappearance. A shop worker said that a girl of Madeline's age and appearance had said to him that her name was Maddie and that she had been taken from her mummy. But this was never followed up by the police and Kate and Jerry were not made aware of this at the time. And even all, the, even after all that, they still haven't a clue where she is. Yes, Madeleine McCann's case remains unsolved, but not for lack of trying. For the last 13 years, the whole world have been looking for her. So that's it. The disappearance of Madeleine McCann is still a mystery after over a decade. She has still not been found and many suspect her dead. What do you think might have happened to her? This is Isla from Greystones News. We interrupt your schedule to bring you this urgent bulletin. A UFO-type ship has been found on South Beach. We urge the public to keep away from this phenomenon for the time being, while government officials decide what to do. There will be a meeting this afternoon to discuss the UFO. Do not enter or touch the ship, as we fear there could be some form of contamination. We plead with you to heed these instructions. They are in place to maintain the health and safety of the public. Thank you for your cooperation. forced to leave this world prematurely. May this mortal coil be easy on me, for my pride is raked and I have no purpose. <laughs> May the other lost souls of our once flourishing home of Hiroshima find purpose and peace in the rest of their lives. I don't have such luxury. I have responsibility to you as your father to protect you in life and in death. I pray that I have the strength to do what I must for my family. I will see you soon, my son, and we will never be apart again. That bomb ended the war. Those damn Japanese got what they deserve messing with us in her Pearl Harbor. Who do they think they are? World domination, my ass. Today I will be talking very briefly about gaming. Without wasting too much of your time, let's get straight into it. Some people like gaming and some people don't. Some people say that violent games lead to children and teenagers lead children and teenagers to becoming criminals or very violent people, <clears throat> which I don't think is true. And I am correct in thinking that because there have been studies um, 
which have shown that there actually is no link between violent video games and aggression in teenagers. I personally use gaming to refresh my mind, to relax or to pass the time and I've been gaming since I was young and I personally do not think that gaming is a bad thing. I think it can be used to recreationally and I think it can be used uh, very creatively and people can use it to express their uh, their creativity and whatever is on their mind and I think that is a great, a great place for people to connect and socialize and just have a great time. I personally don't think it's a bad thing at all, but that's my opinion. Thank you all for listening to my podcast. My name is Dave Likes Games and I am out. Hi everyone, it's Eve and Diana, and today we will be discussing a cold case murder of Pauline Robinberger in 1978. This is a murder that stunned the community and I think you will find it very interesting. interesting. On March 12, 1978, 16-year-old Pauline's body was discovered in her family's duplex. The duplex is still there decades later and the victim's brother says he has never stopped looking for answers. He said, not a day goes by that I don't think about it. The vision is very clear in my mind like it happened yesterday. The victim's brother, who was only 11 at the time, and his mom had been out on a weekend trip, and when they returned, they found Pauline in her bedroom and she had been sexually assaulted and murdered. Detectives continue to work on the cold case and they say they have forensic evidence from the crime scene, but they say there are many complicating factors for the 16-year-old who had dropped out of high school. The police say that whoever went in and killed her probably knew her. One of the detectives stated, being out of school, she had a lot of boyfriends, a lot of ex-boyfriends. What we're hoping is somewhere along the line, someone said something to someone and admitted to something. Her brother also said, I'm not sure that you can bring closure to something like this. It's been 38 years and I think the person that did it has been free long enough and it's time for the person to answer for what they've done. Police say there were threats made against Pauline from people at an apartment complex where she used to babysit. They do have DNA in the case, but they don't have a source for it just yet. If you know anything about the murder of Pauline, you're asked to call Silent Witness at 480-WITNESS. I miss her. I miss her a lot. We got cheated out of a lot of years, said Pauline's brother. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Poirot and Miss Markle, but this mystery is different from most because it has no detective. She called it her most difficult book to write. Ten people are invited to a house in an island by the mysterious hosts, Mr and Mrs Owens. Two come as staff while the other eight are guests. In each room there is a picture with with a sinister sounding nursery rhyme. Then it becomes clear that there is something not quite right when the hosts don't turn up and the weather leaves the island unreachable. Suddenly one of the ten dies and then it seems clear clear that everyone has a dark secret the seemingly accidental death of a child while the governess was watching the tragic death of two children from a speeding car the death of an elderly employer when the employees stand to inherit money it becomes obvious that there is one reason why they were brought here and each guest can only hope that they can survive until help arrives 
This book was very suspenseful and gripping and I enjoyed it very much. I thought that the mystery was fantastic, even if it was quite unusual and I felt that the solution was terrific. I highly recommend this book, even if you are looking for something that is a little different from the typical murder mystery and I rate this book four stars out of five. I think it is among Agatha Christie's finest books. Now I'll move on to another Agatha Christie mystery, which is The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. In this one, a man called Roger but Hercule Poirot is there to solve the crime. The book is narrated by Dr. Shepherd, who was one of the last to see Roger Ackroyd alive. There are suspects aplenty and twists and turns as well, but not everyone is as they seem. This is another fantastic book by Christie and I enjoyed it very much. I read it four stars out of five. Next time I'll be reviewing, reviewing and recommending more Agatha Christie as well as a more recent but just as brilliant murder mystery. Good luck with the books and goodbye. The 9-11 attacks were a, te- were a series of terror attacks carried out by the terror organisation Al-Qaeda. The attacks were led by Osama bin Laden. In the early morning of September 11, 2001, Four American airliners were hijacked by jihadi terrorists. The four targets were both towers of the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and the Capitol Building. At 8.46 a.m., a plane crashed into the North Tower, and the second tower was hit at 9.03 a.m. The third plane crashed into the Pentagon, but missed and didn't do any major damage. The fourth plane crashed into a field after the passengers tried to overpower the terrorists. There were 2,996 deaths as a result of these attacks. In 2011, Osama bin Laden was killed by the U.S. forces in Pakistan. My name is Kane, and welcome to the PC Podcast, where today we're going to be talking about the new GeForce 3080, which is the latest graphics card to hit the market. Now, this graphics card is going to cost you around $700, and is said to be about twice as good as the 2080 Ti. Um, It provides 4K gaming at a relatively good price for what it is. And it has an MSI afterburner, which is really useful for overclocking. Now, as with everything, this has some pros and cons. Now, some of the pros, it has a very quiet fan that keeps it very cool considering how much work this thing is doing. It has really good 1440p gaming. It's the same price as the 2080 Ti. However, it is considerably better in terms of performance and how many FPS you will get in your games. Now, there are some cons, there are some technical issues that haven't quite been ironed out with this machine yet, and it requires a 750 watt power supply. Now, that wouldn't be so bad if it is, if not for the fact that it's miles more than the average PC and how much that needs. So yeah, get ready to splash some cash if you want to get this thing. Now, it also has a very large 12 pin power adapter. Now for context, normally you have eight or six pins. However, this doubles that and brings it up to 12. So it's really, really big piece of machinery. Now, it also only has 10 gigabytes of memory. Um, 
you can get cheaper cards that have the same amount of memory. However, everything else considered, it's not a bad price for what it is. So again, my name is Kane, and I'll talk to you next time. My name is Kaya Gunn and in this podcast I'm going to be talking to you about the Manson family murders. The Manson family was a cult led by Charles Manson around the 1960s and 70s. They were based around Los Angeles and had approximately 50 members, most of which were female and were commonly referred to as the Manson girls. Some of these girls included Susan Atkins, Leslie Van Hutton and Patricia Krenwinkel. The Manson girls lived with Charles on his ranch and are said to have had immense respect and unconditional loyalty to him. They were completely brainwashed by Charles and would do whatever he asked them to, which included many brutal murders. One of the worst murders that the Manson family committed was the murder of pregnant actress Sharon Tate and her husband when she was just 26 years old. On the 8th of August 1969, four people broke into Tate and her husband's home and killed everyone inside. The very next night, Charles Manson ordered his followers to the home of Rosemary and Leno Labianca to once again kill everyone inside. Manson wanted to make the killings appear as though they were part of a race war. These events shook America and caused the rise of the satanic panic. After the killing rampage in LA, though Manson was not actually present for the killings, he was arrested for murder and sentenced to life in prison. He died in 2017. As for the Manson girls, they were arrested and sent to prison. Leslie Van Houten was charged for two counts of murder and one count of conspiracy. Susan Atkins and Patricia Krenwinkel were charged with murder. Leslie and Patricia are still alive today, whereas Susan died from breast cancer at 61. The title of the most diverse group of animals in the world has to belong to the insects. They are so diverse, in fact, that they consist of half of all known living organisms in the world. That includes bacteria, plants, all of the animals, and fungi. If you were to put the name of every named insect in a bag and were to pick one name out, approximately every one out of two would be a type of beetle. Beetles inhabit every habitat except for polar regions and seas and eat almost anything from fungi to plants to other insects and carrion. Some are pests, like the Japanese beetle an invader that rages destruction over 300 species of plant in the US and some are beneficial and encouraging to our gardens such as the famous seven-spotted lady beetle that have often been introduced to control aphid populations which are tiny true bugs that can cause damage to crops and garden plants. In this podcast series I will be discussing and the identifying features and other cool bits of anatomy of a select group of a select group of insects and some highlight species of my choice and talking about their unique instinctual habits. This is Luca, self-taught entomologist in the works, and this is bugging you. Hello everyone and welcome.
welcome to the Prem Weekend Podcast. I'm Michael and I'm joined by Sam and today we're going to talk about the Premier League matches that took place yesterday and on Saturday. So we're going to start with the most surprising match this weekend and for a good while with the Liverpool versus Aston Villa game which ended 7-2 to Aston Villa. Sam, what are your thoughts on the Liverpool defence? I think the main problem with the Liverpool defence is the high line that they play, which really worked in Aston Villa's favour as they could counter-attack and easily outnumber the Liverpool defence. This led to many of the goals that Aston Villa scored. In my opinion, I thought one of the most surprising elements of the game was that Aston Villa only had the ball for 27% of the match and Liverpool having the other 73%. Ollie Watkins, the Aston Villa striker, had just joined from Brentford for a fee of £33 million and it seemed to have paid off extremely well considering he scored three goals and got the Man of the Match award. Yeah, I agree. Watkins had an absolute storm of a game. This is one of the weirdest matches of all time considering that Liverpool won the Prem last year while Liverpool Villa just stayed in the Prem. This game is definitely going to down history to be one of the most surprising wins of all time. There was another high scoring game with Spurs netting six against Manchester United and the game finishing six goals to one. Son had a great game. Would you like would you like to elaborate on that point there, Sam? I fully agree, and I'm worried for Manchester United as they have had a couple of very bad results, and if they continue at this rate, I doubt they will even get European football. They really need to up their game. Son and Kane had a very good game, both getting a shared amount of goals and assists. That's a good point about United struggling for a European spot, because Everton have been looking really good this year, with a very strong start with four wins in four games and are top of the table. Everton will most likely contest United for their spot in Europe, whereas last year they had Last year, they had little competition. Thank you to all our listeners, and we will be back next week with another episode. Hello, people of Earth. This is Alana from Wicklow News. We interrupt your schedule, bringing you the urgent bulletin. There has been an invasion in Grayson's Wicklow from a new life source on Mars. We advise for everyone in the surrounding area to stay inside while we make contact with these beings and know what they have come to Earth for. Once we have investigated these matters, new instructions will be given. Welcome to Into Fashion, the podcast. Are you interested in the latest trends? Want to know where to get the most dramatic dresses or even the simplest loungewear? We talk about the best places to shop for your favourite styles and where the sales are always on. Whether you prefer online shopping or actually going into stores, we'll always keep you up to date. Find us on Spotify or on our website www.intofashion.com My name's Noah. My name's Isla. My name's Mia. My name's Kayla. This is Mass Murder, a true crime podcast. Today we'll be covering the Watts family murder case, which took place in 2018. Our girls, after sufficient research, what do you make of this case? Horrible crime committed by a truly psychopath. This was truly awful. Horrible. The Watts family is made up of four people, Chris, Shanann, Bella and Celeste, known as Cece. At the time, Shanann was also pregnant with the family third child, a boy named Nicoli. The family lived in Colorado, though Chris was born in North Carolina. When was he born? The 16th of May, 1985. He was 33 years old at the time of this case. He worked on an Andarco oil plantation. 
and his wife was born January 10th, 1984, in New Jersey, and was 34 at the time. Shannon and Chris met on Facebook in 2010. They were then married November 3rd, 2012, two years later. Their two daughters, Bella and Cece, were aged four and three at the time. Bella was born December 17, 2013, and Cece was born July 17, 2015. The two daughters were so young. What a horrible man. On June 11, 2018, Shanann Watt surprised her husband with the news that they were expecting their third child. He seemed genuinely excited. On June 14th, Bella is recorded singing a song about how much she loves her father. However, at this time, Chris Watts was developing feelings for his co-worker, Nicole Kessinger, who he started dating seriously towards the end of the month. Which turned out to be very important in the case later on. Affairs never end well anyway. Around July 10th, tensions begin to be seen in Watts' marriage, so in text messages. Throughout the following month, more tension grows between the couple as Chris's parents and Shannon fall out. Later on in the investigation, it is stated that this could be one of the reasons the murders took place. On August 4th, it is shown through phone data that Kessinger was looking at wedding dresses for over two hours, which could mean that her and Watts' relationship was getting quite serious. And yet, he still didn't tell his wife. I know. On August 7th, Shannon confides in a friend about her relationship problems with Chris. She stated that he said that he didn't want to have another baby anymore and that he was not going to go to counseling with his wife. Shanann's friend suspected that Chris was involved with another woman, which was in fact the truth. On August 9th, Shanann left for Arizona on a short business trip, texting her friend to tell her that she thought Chris might be coming around, seeing as she had had the best talk yet with him the night before. Ladies, you know, over the period of time Shanann was on her trip, she drafted Chris when she returned, trying to fix her relationship. The Watts next door neighbor surveillance cameras captured Shanann returning from Arizona at 1.48am on the morning of August 13th. That same morning, Chris got up early to get ready for work and woke up Shannon to talk about the marriage and their future. Later on, he said that the two got into an argument and he snapped it. Chris confessed to having an affair to his wife. She told him angry that he would never see his kids again. Chris then strangled her in their bedroom. The noise from the struggle woke Bella up, the family's eldest daughter, and she came into the room proceeding to ask what was wrong with her mother. Chris wrapped his wife's body up on a bed sheet and carried her out to the trunk of his car where he deposited it. He then put Bella and Cece in the basket set and drove them all to his place of work. Oh, this was truly awful. <laughs> Chris then smothered Celeste in the car, making Bella watch. He did the same with the older daughter before carrying their bodies over to the two massive oil tanks. He threw both of his children's bodies into separate tanks before closing the heavy lids and returning to the car. An horrible act. He buried Shanann's body nearby in a shallow pit He's before starting his work early. He told his co-workers he came in early because him and his wife got into an emotional argument that morning. The following day, after three females are determined missing, people chris made an appearance on local news station he stated that the house felt empty without them and that his heart was shattered he pleaded for them to return although that evening his neighbors grew suspicious as both cars were still in the driveway yet shanann and the girls were nowhere to be found they called the police saying they think chris may have had something to do with the d- disappearances the police saw it up the what's home knocking on the windows to see if shanann or the other girls were inside then they brought chris into the station on hours 15th the disappearances were also reported by Chris earlier on the 13th, shown in text messages between him and his realtor when she asked why Shanann hadn't weighed in on the conversation. He didn't last very long without getting caught, did he? No, not at all. 
At the station, he failed a polygraph test and confessed to his father. Then authorities about the murders. However, he says that he killed Shanann because she smothered their daughters with, and this was proved false. He was brought into the station because the silver volume footage from the neighbor house disapproved his alibi and his statement that his wife and daughter left while he was at work. This also happened on 13th. He clearly didn't plan this out at all. He was then arrested that day. The bodies were found on August 16th where Chris said they would be. On August 21st, Watts received three first-degree murder charges, another two first-degree charges due to another count of his two victims being younger than 12, another count due to the unlawful termination of a pregnancy, and three counts for tampering with the bodies. That was nine charges total. Shanann Watts' family attended the trial where they were seen sobbing. On November 6th, Watts pled guilty to all charges as part of a plea deal to avoid the death penalty. On November 19th, he was charged with five life sentences without the possibility of parole. He deserved it. He was also charged with 40 years for the unfollow termination of his wife's pregnancy and I think deceived for the disposal of his victim bodies. The judge at the trial, Judge Marcelo Capcao, called the murder the the called a murder spree perhaps the most inhumane and vicious crime I've handled out of thousands of cases that I have seen. The family's bodies were buried in a cemetery in North Carolina. Watts was moved to a maximum security prison in Wisconsin in December 2018. Cassandra, Watts' mistress, was taken in by federal authorities and put under witness protection, therefore given a new identity. One of the policemen in the room with Watts when he confessed gave a statement after the event saying no tears when he was talking about killing the girls. No tears. The only time he saw tears was when they were talking about what would happen to him. That's pretty, that's very, very significant. There is a documentary on Netflix talking about this case called American Murders, The Family Next Door. What is stated that the commentary brings up terrible memories of killing his wife and children. That's stupid. He caused that to happen. What a horrible person. He can't justify anything he's done. And blaming the crime on his wife when he first confessed, unbelievable. Thank you for listening. This is Mass Murder, a true crime podcast.